Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation. All the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of Cha Dao. This will be the focus of this podcast, developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. Also, you're welcome to come to our center, Tea Sage Hut, here in Miali, Taiwan, and sit a 10-day course where we incorporate all these aspects from the linear to the brewing tea to the spiritual cultivation all together, and you can take a deep dive and immerse yourself and ground yourself in this beautiful practice. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together. Hi, and welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. I am Janos. In this episode of Tea Wayfaring, I am joined by a dear tea brother, Andy Taylor. I met Andy back in 2014 on my first visit to the Tea Sage Hut. He spent a period of time living there, learning and practicing tea, and then moved to the island of Bali, where he now practices traditional Chinese medicine full-time. He's a kind, wise, and wonderful human with bright eyes and a big heart. In this episode, we talk about his journey with traditional Chinese medicine, its many forms, and how it all relates to tea. Here's my conversation with Andy. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew Taylor. Thanks for having me, Anas. It's a real honor to be here chatting with you. So tell us, uh, where in the world are you at the moment? Yeah, I'm right now I'm in living and working, practicing in the beautiful island of Bali in Indonesia. Mm. And um, so tell us, how would you describe yourself in your own words? Um, what do you do? I'm a practitioner of Chinese medicine, and I would say, call myself a caregiver. I'm practicing the art of acupuncture and Chinese herbalism and osteopathy, similar to chiropractic medicine. Uh-huh. And uh, how did you end up in Bali? Uh, I've been here for about six years now, and actually, I first came here on a few uh, visits uh, to visit a good friend of mine and a colleague, fellow Chinese medicine doctor, who was, he was working here at the time at a health uh, retreat resort, and uh, when at that time, I was living in Taiwan, so it was a very, really short, short trip to get out this way and uh, visit him for his, his wedding the first time. And, and on my second trip, a few years later, I actually 
had uh, come to Bali with Wuda as we were, our, our friend Dave, who was here in Bali, um, was organized some tea events uh, where he was working. This was back in 2015. So at that time, uh, was looking to get back into full-time practice and, and on that trip ended up meeting uh, someone who ended up offering me a position at uh, where he was at a resort he owned and we collaborated and a few months later I was I was here in Bali. So uh, you've traveled quite a bit um, in the world, but originally you're from the United States, right? Correct. I'm from I'm from the northeast part of the U.S., just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. So hmm. far away from home right now. <laughs> and the very in a very different place uh, in terms of climate and culture and and everything else. Oh yeah, worlds. Uh, it's worlds away here, and <laughs> of course much hotter now than than in New England. <laughs> right. You also lived in uh, California, is that correct? Yeah, I grew up in New England. And uh, um, when I was 18, I ended up leaving home and, and I just wanted to get some life experience. So I felt like I had to kind of leave, leave my, my hometown. And uh, after a few years of looking at what I want to study and what I wanted to get into, eventually decided on Chinese medicine. And then that brought me out to California to study. Mm. That's actually my next question. Uh, it's so interesting that you chose Chinese medicine. What was the, the reason behind that? Yeah, so when I was choosing at that time when I was young, what I wanted to do when I was when I grew up or, or get older or what I want more, what I want to be, you know, what I want to do at that time, I was really into natural health and natural medicine. I was, when I was 18 and I had first uh, moved out of new England, um, I ended up getting a job at a health food store. And at that time, I was all this world of, of healthy living and healthy eating, uh, vegetarianism, vitamins, minerals, uh, whole foods was completely new to me. You know, I was, I was only 18 at the time. So at that, at that time, every, this whole world was really attractive to me and really influenced me. And also at that same time, I started to practice Tai Chi. There was a little Tai Chi studio next to the health food store where I worked. So I, that was my first kind of dipping my toes into Eastern philosophy and, and, uh, and martial arts and, and Chinese philosophy. And then when it was time to, when I, decided, okay, time to actually go and study something. I knew that I want to get somehow into the natural health, natural medicine field. And I just married the two concepts of 
the, the Eastern philosophy with natural health. And it was kind of a really natural, organic decision to, to begin studying Chinese medicine. Mm. And then after your studies, what brought you to Taiwan? So when I, when I graduated from the Chinese medicine school, you know, when you first graduate, the most important thing is to grow as a practitioner because you, you graduate and you kind of, you have this like toolbox, you know, you've learned all these things for four years, you've, you've passed all your examinations, you've got, you've gotten your license and now you're, you're just, you've like graduated from kindergarten in a way you're you're really excited and you want to use all these tools that you have and so the next thing you really need is is clinical experience to to grow as a practitioner so at that time i had a lot of uh, classmates that were going and working on cruise ships and practicing acupuncture so i thought uh, this was a brilliant idea, not only to gain uh, experience, clinical experience, to be able to make money. Of course, when you're when you graduate, you're, or at least I was, uh, I was a broke, uh, you know, college student, <laughs> recent graduate, and then um, you know, at the same time, you can also travel the world, which is what's always uh, it's always great to be able to to see places and, and get paid to do it. Mm. So, oh, how did I end up in Taiwan? So after a few years working on cruise ships and you know, seeing many, many places in the world that I definitely would not have gone to on my own uh, volition, my own uh, choosing to go, I, uh, I felt like it was, time to understand a little bit more about um, the, where the medicine that I was practicing. And if I wanted to understand the culture that it came from. I wanted to under, understand it in a deeper way. And for me, uh, going to either China or Taiwan was, was that way to, to fully experience it. Mm. And after I finished on the cruise ship, Working for a few years, I had uh, a friend that was living in Taiwan for a year, and we had met up because he had just returned to the U.S., and he was telling me all about his, his year living in Taipei, and just the amazing experience he had uh, studying and working, volunteering at a Chinese medicine clinic, and he, he was also studying Buddhism while he was there in Taipei, and and uh, drinking tea and and it was actually uh, funny because when I had met him and he was telling me about his year in Taiwan we he was practicing Chinese medicine at out of uh, in the back of a tea house this was in San Diego California mm. so it was we're, we're drinking oolong tea he's telling me about his his amazing year in Taiwan and uh, we're drinking Taiwanese oolong tea. So I, I just, you know, 
I just felt like, wow, this, this seems like uh, an amazing experience, an amazing opportunity. And six weeks later, I was, after we were sitting at that tea shop, drinking that oolong tea, I was, uh, I had moved to Taiwan. And then uh, you also lived a period of time in the tea hut. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, when I was first in Taiwan, I, I was living in Taipei. So right, right when I kind of got there, I'd, uh, of course, I didn't speak one one word of Chinese, and and uh, my my goal was to to learn more of the medicine, to find a teacher, to to study more Chinese medicine, and really. The only way that I felt that was going to be possible was if I had studied Mandarin. So uh, when I first moved to Ta Ta Taipei, I, I studied Mandarin for a year and um, was also at the same time working, teaching English. And through that, uh, the time I was there in Taipei, I ended up learning a little bit about tea, of course, living in Taiwan. Uh, the island of tea, it's impossible not to, to drink tea and to have a, any kind of, you know, a relationship with tea. And I was looking for a tea teacher, actually. And so as I'm drinking tea and, and studying Mandarin, I was you know, starting to speak a little bit more and wanting to find, find a, a real tea teacher, someone that could teach me Cha Tao. And of course, speaking Chinese, I was wanting to find a Taiwanese teacher and searching, searching for teachers. And, and some people would, would, would show me tea, introduce me to tea, but they, you know, they weren't tea masters. And I had a, uh, a tea friend in, in Taipei that had gone down to uh, tea Sichut and for a visit and and he came back and and he said you know, i was i have to admit i was at the time i was skeptical because i'm thinking okay we're in taiwan and there's a an american guy teaching about tea <laughs> so you know it's been a little bit uh, kind of raised my eyebrow and uh this friend came back and he just had great things to say about tea sage hut and, and global tea hut and um so I eventually uh, made my way down there. And, and I actually remember I had Tuesdays off at that time. And, and Tuesday was the day that TSA Chut held their, their Chadao class. So, you know, once I went to the first, first Tuesday morning, um, you know, I ended up going back every week for, for the next few months and then uh, things fell into place into my life where I was able to move to the center and move to Miali. Mm. And that was back, uh, was that in uh, 2014? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's that's the first time when I came to Taiwan. And and funnily enough, uh, I was, um, so I was traveling the world and had finished the work and holiday year in, in Australia. And uh, my plan was always to, after Australia, um, go and visit the Tea Sage Hut because I had met Buddha back in Estonia and I was a Global Tea Hut member uh, in, at that time already. 
but um, I wanted to uh, take a little holiday, uh, like just a you know like a week on the beach or something. And uh, but my visa was up, and what I did was I flew to Bali and uh, spent uh, a week in Bali before um, coming to Taiwan. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, Bali is always a, uh, a every. It seems like everyone's been to Bali. Yeah, it's a very it's a very welcoming island. It's a very unique place, and uh, you know, there's several things that you can do in in Bali, and I, I'd heard a lot of stories. So I kind of also knew what I wanted to do, and um, and things that I wanted to avoid, like you know, parties, and I wasn't really into that. I just wanted to relax, and uh, kind of like see the the local culture, experience the local culture a little bit. So I spent like um, I think most of the the week, probably like four four maybe even five days in Ubud, and then took like little like day trips um, to different places. But yeah, it's kind of like a midway point. If you're coming from Australia, then then Bali is like kind of in the you know on the way to because um, I was coming from uh, also from Western Australia. Uh, it's kind of on the way to uh, Taiwan, and and it was nice to like stop there. Um, how do you how do you feel about Bali? Is that really have you settled down and, and does Bali feel like home too? Yeah, Bali's Bali's become home, and it was actually a, a I'd say a little bit of a difficult transition. Um, I mean, not too difficult because Bali is very easy to to live here and, and to kind of to be here, but because I was living in Taiwan for, uh, for over four years and, and had, you know, really immersed myself in the culture there and, uh, you know, was living in Miaoli. So I, I had the, you know, tea, tea community there, tea family. So moving, you know, moving here for, uh, really, uh, for, to further my, my career and profession, was uh, as great as Bali is. It was a little bit of a, a jolt to me, you know, not not speaking the local language and and um, being in a place with with many tourists. But um, but yeah, certainly Bali is the kind of place that you know it seems like people either uh, love it or hate it. Meaning that when they come here to to live, and Bali has this way of of filtering people out if maybe if their karma is not not uh, right for them to be here so um so now it's for sure it's it's become home um it's a really nourishing place and and you spoke about your experience while you were here and that's the thing about bali is, is it's a, it's a small island but you can there's so many different uh, kind of ways or places that you could live. You can you can say live in Ubud, the place that you mentioned, which is um, very heart centered uh, place. It's the cultural uh, heart of, of Bali, and you know lots of lots of yoga and and. Uh, a big spiritual community there even there's a, a few tea houses that have opened up recently so there's lots of tea happening there um i'm i'm here on the coast 
uh, because this is a, a really good place for uh, for business. There's a lot of entrepreneurs here. There's a big surfing culture. Um, you know, a lot just people from all over the world here. Mm. Um, so it's a it's a real mecca of people, uh, worldly people that are doing very very cool things. You know, very like progressive things. And so it has this urban feel to it, even though. Uh, you can go 10 minutes down the road and you're in a small bondage village or like myself, I live right on a rice field. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it has these, has these dualities, which make it a really, really great place to live. Very healthy place to live. Mm. Wow. Sounds wonderful. And you said that there's uh, tea houses popping up. Uh, what is the, what is the tea culture there like? The tea houses here in Bali are run by uh, some really great tea people that have a great tea spirit and uh, they're getting very good old tea. Um, they're doing events, say with singing or, or performance centered around, around tea ceremonies. Um, so yeah, and, and I know that the tea that they're getting is, is very good quality and and uh good old tea mm. so there's definitely definitely like in a place like ubud where there's a lot a lot of people that are drawn to uh spirituality drawn to spirit medicine um you know these tea houses certainly thrive there yeah yeah um as far as i know we also have some global tea hut members in bali um so if you're listening then um, a big hello to uh, warm greetings from uh, Taiwan. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about traditional Chinese medicine as well, because um, that is what you do um, uh, professionally. So um, just to provide a little bit of context, I'm sure everybody has heard uh, something about um, traditional Chinese medicine, but you know, let's say if a person is really unfamiliar with it, how would you describe traditional Chinese medicine? I know it's a, you know, it's a huge topic, but, um, you know, in a few sentences, maybe, um, how would you summarize traditional Chinese medicine? Well, Chinese medicine is a holistic medicine. So what we're doing with uh, Chinese medicine is, is looking at all the systems of the body everything that's happening within the body and understanding how that is all functioning together as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so if you have, uh, you know, usually people have many different uh, issues when they come in, it's not just, oh, I have a sleeping problem. I have uh, sleeping issue and anxiety and uh, my digestion is poor. So with Chinese medicine is we're, we're seeing the relationship of everything that's happening with your body. And through these relationships, we can identify them as what we call patterns. And through these patterns, we administer medicine um, herbal medicine, and then also administer treatment, acupuncture, which is the 
stimulation of certain points, different points around the body that are going to help to um, essentially regulate and harmonize, e equalize uh, the body back into homeostasis or, or uh, balance. So actually, you can always say there's two answers to this. Usually if somebody asks the question, okay, what, what is Chinese medicine? What is this doing? You know, I always, I always ask, okay, do you want the, the, the Western view or do you want the Eastern view? So we can look at both, both of those. And, and you know, normally what I, what I say from the Eastern view is that we, we take a look at the body. We look at a, at a broad stroke. We look at, is the body have too little or too much of something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what is that something? That something is uh, blood. That's something we also have chi. We also have fluids. So does the body have too much or too little of this uh, blood, chi, and fluids? Then on the next level is is the body in a state of too much? Is there too much relative cold or too much relative heat? Okay, of course, this is always a, a combination, meaning that you can have cold and you can have heat. Yeah, you can have uh, too much blood and not enough uh, chi. Yeah, so every it's it's more than just black and white. And then going even deeper, we look at what organs are being affected through all this excess and deficiency and heat and cold. And we're looking where all these substances and, and heat and cold, what level are they affecting the body? Hmm. So that's the, the Eastern view. That would be a very... <laughs> That's a, a very like broad stroke mm -hmm. of, of what's happening. You know, when, when I'm diagnosing someone, uh, that's that's a very broad way to see to say to look at the body and to explain uh, what's happening. Right. Hmm. That's kind of like the condensed version, or or like a very short summary of uh, of what's happening when you're diagnosing someone. Yeah. Exactly. So we're looking at, you know, like I say, we're looking at, are you, do you have too much? Do you have too little? Yeah. And again, normally it's a, a combination of, of both. Um, is there, is there too much heat, too much cold, not enough heat? Um, and we're, we're looking at where that's happening in the body. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, actually talk a little bit about these uh, concepts of heat and uh, and cold? Because I feel like that's something that, at least for a Western person like me, you know, um, it's it's there's a lot of misconceptions, and uh, and as I understand, they are more like patterns in the body, not necessarily the feeling of of heat or the feeling of of cold. Yeah. So this is a good question. Because uh, a lot of people ask about this, that the idea of of hot and and cold in the body, you know, what is hot, what is cold? People, you know, I, I've had clients tell me, yeah, I've been told I'm I'm heaty. You know, what is this? 
So, you know, of course, everything in Chinese medicine is based on, on qi and, and blood and fluids. So essentially heat is, heat is a type of, of qi, yeah? You have uh, heat, hot qi, you have even cold qi. So it's, it's a type of, uh, for lack of a better term, energy. And this heat and cold manifests in different ways in the body. So when in the body, our bodies are very intelligent. So we can, we can actually see this heat manifesting. So if maybe you see somebody that always has a red face, no matter where they are, their face is red. So this is heat that's coming up to their upper body, up to their face. Um, you might know somebody that's always drinking water. Always, like they, they can't go anywhere uh, without their bottle of water. Always thirsty. So this is someone that has too much heat in their body, yeah, causing this excess of thirst. Now on the opposite side of that cold, um, cold maybe you don't, it's not as apparent and to the eye as something like heat because heat, you know, redness. Um, if you ever have an injury, you, you have like a swollen, say you sprain your ankle, you're, it's going to be red and swollen and uh, puffy. So, you know, there's heat involved there. Cold, you may not see as much. So cold normally is, is um, something that, that will really affect the digestive system, affects women more. Um, these are the type of people that have a prevalence of cold that they just can't, uh, they can't stand living in uh, cold climates or when it's, uh, when it's winter, um, always bundled up. So cold is a little bit more uh, difficult to detect and not as obvious as something like, like heat. Hmm. Now, would you say that um, there's types of constitution? Um, that some people are constitutionally more hot or their bodies more hot and other people are more cold. Can, can there be um, people in between as well? Or mm, That's a very good question because we all do have our, our constitutions. And the thing with cold and heat is that it's, it's not so black and white as far as, okay, this, we just have someone is just cold or someone is just hot. We'd say, you know, excess cold or full heat. So normally we are a, a mixture of two. So it's more than just am I hot or am I cold? It's understanding where that cold and heat is in the body and what it's affecting and also where say it shouldn't be. So oftentimes, which is the case, is that actually we have an, too much heat in one part of the body and too much cold in another part of the body. So it's, it's not so much are you more one and more the other, is, is, the, is the way that it's this your thermal temperature is, is harmonized in the body. Is that correct? So very often you see someone that could have, uh, you know, very, like I had mentioned, you know, have that excessive thirst and they, they might sweat a lot, say, but more from their, their head, more from the upper body. Uh, 
but yet their their feet are always very cold. So so this is an example where that the heat is is rising up and this cold is sinking down. And essentially, we'd like to be, as the saying, as the saying goes, you want to have a cool head. You want to be cool headed so that you're this cold energy is the heat is more important is that the heat is sinking down, sinking to your lower body. That heat is sinking into your digestive system uh, for women into the reproductive system. And uh, for all of us like that heat is what we call in Chinese medicine between the kidneys is this um, ministerial fire. So you want that fire and that heat to be down in the kidneys. Hmm. Uh, funny listening to you, I, I felt like you were describing me when you said uh, that, you know, someone that has a hot head, but their feet are always cold. Um, that, that sounds like me because I feel like often I feel heat, especially in the summer, in, in my head, especially. But um, at the same time, my extremities, like my hands and feet tend to be cold. And that seems kind of like odd because, you know, like I always thought that you're one or the other. You're either like you have a cold constitution or you have more like a, a heat constitution. So that, you know, your answer was um, a little bit helpful in that regard that I understand now that you can have both at the same time. Um, you can have a cool, you can have cool feet and, and a hot head, <laughs> like you said. But uh, so this also seems to me to be like the problem with um, I don't know if it's caused by like maybe like just the sedentary lifestyle where we don't exercise too much and we like um, live a lot in in our heads and like work on computers and that means that the body doesn't get much exercise and and but the head um, is maybe like overworked um, does that resonate at all or I um... uh, you bring up a good point because certainly uh, we do you know, modern, modern life and, and, you know, working, working at a desk or working, sitting on a laptop or computer um, is a different way of life than, say, 100 years ago, where people were, were, were more active uh, throughout the day. So I, I think that is uh, something that, that contributes to that, for sure. Um, you know, can you, something uh, as simple as that you could remedy for that would be like to soak your feet in uh, hot water. Yeah, so it, it draws draws that heat down. Mm. Something as simple as that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly our, uh, our our present day life and and stress and sitting a lot uh, isn't isn't doing. Uh, benefit for our, our health and well-being right so this is where something like you know qigong and tai chi uh, really are important to help circulate and and move that chi because in in this case um where we'd say there's heat above and and cold below yeah, there is something with the, the dynamic movement of the chi that's not circulating properly. So, and it doesn't mean that just because, you know, your feet are cold, it doesn't mean that 
um, your your blood circulation is weak or something. It's just that the chi is isn't uh, isn't getting out, isn't moving properly. So that's why we have these exercises that that can help with that exercise and you know lifestyle of drinking tea certainly. Mm. Right. And now just for a second, coming back to the hot and cold again. Um, so let's say if you feel that you have too much heat in a particular organ, how to balance that? Do you balance that with uh, trying to remove um, some of that heat or, or do you balance that with like adding something cold or, or is there another method? This, this would depend. This is a difficult question to ask because it, this word does depend on the case because you you have to understand okay is it is it an excess heat where we can just add cold and clear it or does um the you know does something need to be circulated and, and moved so this this is a little bit uh, you know normally this is what i'm speaking of of Chinese herbal medicine, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, when we're speaking of acupuncture, there's essentially, you know, different, different methods of treatment. So there's a circulate, you know, circulating chi, you're, you're nourishing chi and blood, you're draining uh, chi and blood and heat. Uh, so this is going to depend on the case and what, what method you want to use. Right. Mm. There's no like... Sorry. <laughs> I understand yeah, that. <laughs> I, I didn't directly answer your question. Um, yeah, it really depends on, on, again, like there's the heat is you can have, we'd say, a deficient heat or you can have an excess heat or you can have a deficient cold or you can have an excess cold. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it really depends on, okay, this, this balance of, of hot and cold, is it, is it more cold because there's a relative, uh, relatively low heat? So the cold, cold is more, uh, more predominant or it's because there's just an excess amount of cold. Right. So this is where the, you know, Chinese medicine becomes, even though the, the concepts as abstract as they are, they, they can be understood, but the application and, you know, really understanding the physiology is becomes more complex. Yes. Mm, thank you for that answer. I, I realized that, uh, you know, I, I may have asked a question that's very hard to um, unpack in, in this scenario here in, in this hour of, of our little uh, podcast uh, interview. Um, that, that's always, you know, that's always the thing um, when speaking of Chinese medicine is, you know, because it's very interesting. These concepts are very interesting and very abstract, but uh, it, you can yeah, certainly get down a rabbit hole where you're like, well, wait a minute, what, what does that mean? Or what about what, when you have the liver, you know, you add the liver to that. And uh, so it's, it can be sometimes difficult to, to, to speak of it very uh, broadly and vaguely because 
it might not be, uh, it, it will lead to more questions. And a, you know, a vague answer might sound uh, not clear. Mm, sure. Okay. Well, let's narrow it down a little bit. Uh, of course, what I'm really interested in, and I'm guessing our listeners as well, is uh, of course tea and uh, its relationship or place in um, traditional Chinese medicine. Perhaps uh, let's start with uh, how is um, tea involved in your life? Are you um, drinking tea every day? Are you serving it to uh, to people you you work with or your patients? Or um, do you prescribe um, tea even as a medicinal herb? Or yeah, so we have at our clinic here. We have our our waiting room. Our tea room is essentially our our waiting room. So we have a nice. Uh, a nice big wooden swar table. Swar is a type of wood here in Indonesia. Um, so we're, we're serving my wife, Victoria, who's from Taiwan. She's serving tea to our guests uh, when they come in and fill out any paperwork or while they're waiting for their, their appointment. Um, myself, personally, I'm, I'm drinking tea most days in the morning. And uh, and I'm but I'm not serving tea presently because I'm I'm in clinic about five to six days a week. So I'm giving so much when I'm in the clinic that uh, that I'm I'm keeping my tea practice just to myself. I see. So basically, um, when people arrive for their appointment or just walk into your clinic they're uh, greeted with uh, with tea as i understand oh yeah and and they love it they come in and having a nice bowl of tea or, or a cup of tea and and it's of course tea is an extension an invitation for friendship so it's a it's a very nice way to, to have them come and just to kind of settle in and, and settle down because you know bali's uh, even though it's a small island uh, the roads are very small and and you driving your motorbike can be a bit hectic on the road and uh it's a nice way to to, to have people come and and settle in settle in for their treatment mm, yeah are you serving particular teas um depending on like let's say the season or um time of day or um or it's just uh, any any kind of tea that um you happen to have around certainly <laughs> serving tea according to the season so right now in bali is our hottest time of year these next few months so um serving a bit more like lightly oxidized oolongs um some shang shang poor teas, but because shang, some people might not be used to drinking something uh, strong shang tea, so bring it very very lightly or, or very low amount of uh, of leaf, um, and also liu bao because it's it's so humid here at in this time of year, which is the our quote unquote summer or rainy season. So liu bao is is really nice to to uh, take out the 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 damp and the humidity mm -hmm. from, our, from our body yeah 
And so do you view um, tea as a, also like a Chinese medicinal herb or, or more of like a, like a beverage? Uh, it's certainly med it's certainly medicine. Um, I, I wouldn't say in the way it's medicine, uh, like Chinese herbs that I, I prescribe, but, um, certainly more of a spirit, spirit tonic, you know, as we say, it's a, it's a, it brightens the eyes and, and opens the heart and, opens up your, your shen and your, your spirit. So, so it's, it's certainly something that I prescribe to people that, uh, are drinking coffee or, or maybe just need something to, uh, practice. Um, mm. The thing here in Bali is, is, is a lot of people, <laughs> cause it's so hot some, sometimes like this time of year, um, People just aren't too, aren't into drinking hot beverages. So when they come to the um, um, to the clinic um, and you offer them uh, green tea, say, or uh, or perhaps some young shang, um, are they surprised that you're serving them a hot drink? Surprise! Surprisingly, not. Nobody nobody has. Um, has you know because we have the air air conditioning uh you know put on nicely here so when they come in there there it's just a relief to to come in uh to a cool room but but certainly i do think about that you know because if you're drinking a bowl of tea it might be a little bit too hot for people so uh i think this time of year we're doing a little bit more gong fu tea so that uh it's they're not, they're not drinking a, a, lar a larger amount of tea and, and getting more hot. But nobody, nobody is actually surprised that we're pouring, pouring hot tea. Mm, yeah. They love it. Everyone, everyone loves it. You know, they just, uh, you don't know how many people, because uh, our clinic is on the second floor and the, the tea room's on the first floor. You know, they, they bring up their bowl or their cup of tea that they haven't finished you know, cause it was too hot for them or maybe, maybe they didn't have time to drink it. And, you know, they say, Oh, I wanted to bring it up and cause I didn't want to waste it. It's so good. So <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's really nice to, to get that feedback and, 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 uh, have people like enjoying the tea. And, and again, I really think it's in that way, the tea becomes an extension of, of the treatment because you know they're again they're they're welcomed and they're, when they first arrived with a with a cup of tea and and uh, it settles the, their spirit and hmm. so the, the the treatment begins with their their first cup of tea right yeah i, I can definitely see the benefit of that because you know it's not just about what i guess what the doctor or the practitioner does to you but also how you feel about the whole process and how you uh, relate to the the healing right oh sure that that is a, a a big part of of the the therapy and the treatment is is first to as a patient when you're receiving you know to to be open open to receiving and and then yeah especially when you're doing acupuncture which is 
a little bit of a in, invasive treatment in a way, putting sharp needles into somebody's body. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really nice to just kind of have them more at ease and open to to the therapy. Yeah, and what a beautiful way to you know guide people into that sort of um, mental space than by offering some like a cup of tea, right? Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's, a uh, yeah, again, it's, it's an extension of, of kindness and, and friendship. So, you know, some, some people come and then they, they really, they, they come early just to drink tea or, or they'll definitely stay after the treatment to have a few cups of tea. Um, some people I wonder, are they coming for the tea or are they coming for the, the acupuncture? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever get people who are nervous about getting acupuncture? Maybe it's their first time and they've never experienced, you know, needles in their, in their body and they're a little like apprehensive or, or even nervous. Oh, oh, certainly. This is, this is very common. Um, yeah, because, you know, some people have a, like a, an, a real fear of needles, you know, like they just don't like needles in their body and but that that is actually a, a small percentage of people the majority of people that are apprehensive is just the the idea of the idea of putting needles in your body because of course who wants to you know get an injection or or when you think of needles you're thinking of large hypodermic needles <laughs> So, you know, the, these, uh, the needles are, that I use are maybe a few hairs put together in, in diameter. So most often what happens with these type of people is that, um, you know, if, if they're really, really genuinely nervous, I'll, you know, have them inhale and exhale as I'm inserting the needles um and it's not a problem and then the people that are just kind of it's more just the idea the thought you know that needles would hurt um i've i'm just talking to them and i've already put in a few needles and and you know i said how, how was that okay and, and they say did you did you already put them in and so so it's no problem <laughs> yeah is there any um, scenario or any case where you wouldn't recommend um, people drinking tea? Or does, is tea good for, you know, anything that people come to you for? Uh, so, you know, certainly with drinking tea, we need to, you know, most people, I, I suggest them to, to make sure they have eaten before they they drink tea. So if I if I suggest someone to drink tea, um, say somebody's on coffee and and really think that it will be a benefit for them to to go out their coffee, um, I will recommend tea for them. But always recommend to to eat before, especially if it's a a, a green tea, oolong tea, a red tea. Um, pretty much anything except shopur, I'll mm -hmm. I'll recommend them to make sure they have eaten because you do have a lot of people that 
that will say, oh, I drink, I drink tea, but it hurts my stomach. And um, going back to speaking about cold, this is because the nature of tea is cold. So maybe this is a good example to understand more of that cold than heat is that tea is a hot beverage, right? So how can a hot beverage be cold in the body? So again, it's not the, the actual temperature of that thing. It's, you could say, the thermal nature of it. So tea, as we know it, is... Um, is, is very detoxifying. Yeah? It's, it's good for your liver. It's good for, it can lower blood pressure. Um, it helps with blood circulation. But the nature of tea, why is it very, uh, why is it moving to the liver? Why is it course the liver and, and why does it detoxify? It's because it's actually in its inherent nature, it's it's cooling, so a hot beverage can can still be cool in this nature. So this uh, the um, why you'd want to eat with a full, uh, eat before drinking tea is because cold is is the nature of cold is constricting, right? Constricting, uh, making it smaller. So if you put something that's in its nature cold into your stomach and your stomach is empty, it can, it can cause pain, discomfort, because it's, it's uh, constricting in that way. Hmm. So what about uh, teas that do feel like they have a, a heating effect, like uh, show pour, for example, or red tea? Yeah, show, is, show pour is, is warming because of the, of the it's processing. Right, so so this is a tea that is uh, good to drink. You can drink it on an empty stomach. It's okay. Uh, it's great to drink in the winter time. Um, you know, I have uh, I have a lot of uh, Russian clients, and they all know about poor tea, right? And mm -hmm. so I've seen, you know, outside of I think uh, China and. In Hong Kong, the the most poor that's drank in the world is in Russia. You know, drank and bought and sold, and that's because of it's cold there in Russia. So very warming for the body. Yeah, yeah. Same in Estonia. Like whenever you know we're a Nordic country, and whenever people um, come to tea and and start learning more deeply about tea. I feel like there's um, th there's a very big percentage of people who get excited about a show pour because it is so warming and kind of comforting and and there's a lot of like cold months uh, out of a year in and even the Estonian summer isn't that hot uh, you know we get like 24 25 degrees uh, Celsius in the summer so uh, that's still like quite quite mild and and people even drink. Uh, show in the in the summertime yeah i mean it, it's so you know because it's it's warming it's not hot so it, it's still okay to drink uh, in in the warm weather like you said mm. and it i i find it it's a, it's a real um you know most times when, when 
people are excited about the tea here you know they, they really like they're excited about the the poor because it's it's such a unique tea and i think it's not you know green tea uh red tea that is something that uh you can find say in stores yeah but something about uh not saying it's great quality that you would find in a store but um Poor tea is, is something that's it's really special. And I think it has this, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I had this in Hong Kong or yeah, I was in China once and I had some poor tea or I was gifted uh, this tea uh, by, by a Chinese friend of mine. I have it in my kitchen cabinet, you know. It, so it's, uh, I, find, I find it, people find it to be a really special and unique tea. Yeah, for sure. And while we're on this uh, poor topic, actually, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, um, so this January, uh, January 2022, we sent out a tea called Mandarin, which is um, a blend of uh, Shopur, aged Shopur and um, Champi, which is um, essentially dried, um, you know, um, orange peel. And uh, I wanted to ask you if you have any... Um, if you have any experience or any um, or any knowledge about um, blending tea with um, different herbs, different um, herbs that are um, medicinal, most of the my experience with blending herbs and tea actually comes from living at Tea Sage Hut. So this is um, one we we use or we serve shopur uh, with ginger. Uh, in the in the winter months, and this is you know this the adding ginger to the shopur even increases its warming effect in the body, um, and then also chrysanthemum mm. is uh, is something that's added added to to poor, um, and and chrysanthemum is it's good for like it's good for your eyes um it's very often that uh, chrysanthemum is used say, with goji berry you know to um to help for vision and to, to clear any any kind of redness that's in your eyes um but yeah you know a lot because a lot of the of the chinese herbs are just not and <laughs> not so uh appetizing in in a way i think th there may not be so many that are able to be blended with tea and still and you know enhance or or add something to the flavor um i haven't tried the i haven't received january yet the gold tea but i really look forward to trying the aged tangerine peel mm, yeah because that's uh that's a really nice um addition because the the tangerine peels are really good for digestion and moving any like stagnant chi uh, for like say bloating so mm -hmm. yeah good for good for this time of year if you're you know like in the winter months and in your your you know I, I know when i used to live in the cold winter you're eating more right to to stay warm and and you have those layers of clothes so you don't mind putting on a few pounds so the uh, the aged tangerine pill will be nice to help with 
digestion. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's uh, it's about finding those, I guess, those herbs that work well and, and like you said, like enhance some aspect of the tea. So it's not just, you know, let's let's try anything or let's let's toss in some cinnamon or or something. But it's uh, I feel like it's very like particular um, in uh, at least in Chinese medicine, like it's here in, in Taiwan. I don't I've never seen people just add herbs to tea just just to like try something out. There's always a reason, like you said, with uh you know, ginger just helps with uh, digestion and and also like uh, helps with the warming qualities of the of the poor. And then you know, champi um, helps again with with digestion as well. So you're like kind of like complementing the tea, right? Yeah, and still still having a taste, still having the essence of of the poor, and not not uh, not having the overpower the flavor of the tea. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be an interesting something to look into because you know I don't I don't know so much about uh, yeah what what herbs would be used like uh, you know like chrysanthemum or ginger the ones that I do know of like be curious to know you know I'm sure I'm sure there's uh, lots of tea people that uh you know in china and taiwan that would have these special herbs it could be could be even some uh not common herbs something you never heard of that would that they may add mm. yeah definitely interesting topic and uh you know something worth exploring um perhaps even in in a future podcast episode that'd be great so this um tea that we call mandarin um that is the tea of the month of uh, january 2022 is actually really nice when it's boiled and i find that boiled teas you know they have a, a special quality to them and i was wondering if you could speak a little bit about uh, boiling herbs versus just you know taking them as a um, as a powder or or a pill because in as far as I know, my um, experience with Chinese medicine is, is and Chinese herbalism is quite limited. But I know that often the herbs that are prescribed are meant to be boiled. So in the Western world, we're more used to like just taking a pill or like some powder that you dissolve in water and, and drink it. So what is the benefit of, of boiling herbs? Yeah, that's a really good question, Janus. And I think maybe I'll explain a little bit about the forms, the different forms of herbs so that uh, listeners can can better understand kind of the, the whole context. Sure, yeah. So, um, so there's, you have raw herbal medicine, which... Uh, is it's very common if you have uh, this idea of Chinese herbs and you may have seen photos and on websites where you have the actual the roots and, and the rhizomes and the seeds and the shells and uh, normally a prescription is you know anywhere from five to 15 different herbs 
different dosages that are are put together, and that's called an herbal formula. And and then those herbs would be boiled in in water for say anywhere twenty to thirty minutes. So this is the you know when we're reading. Uh, Chinese herbal medicine books, everything is written out in the prescriptions at dosages in this form. Um, and even before before you were they were boiling these these herbal decoctions, they would take, say, a mortar and pestle and some formulas you can just grind the herbs into powders and add hot water and take as a draft. So that's that's actually the first in the most ancient way to, to take uh, herbal medicine. Of course, now in the present day, we have some more convenient ways to, to take herbs, which you know, they're, they're in, uh, pressed into, into pills and, and pellets we have, uh, which is uh, very common now in Taiwan. There's, uh, granulated extract uh, granules, which is a powder, which is essentially the, the raw herbs that go their process and are, are made into a concentrated powder. And this is uh, say in somewhere like Taiwan, this is what the majority of Chinese medicine clinics use. And it's a very convenient way to take the uh, to take medicine. You just take this powder, you know, five, 10 grams of powder and, and mix it in hot water and, and, and drink it very quick and convenient. But uh, essentially the, the most potent form of the herbs is going to be the, the type that you boil. And um, it's not only most potent just because of the, the ingredients or you're taking the, the, the raw medicine and extracting it, but um, also more potent in the way that you're you're involved in the the cooking and the, and the preparation of of making your own medicine rather than just as you said popping a pill or or just just uh, putting some some powder in your mouth. Mm -hmm. So it's also about uh, the participation, as I'm understanding the you being involved in the in the cooking of it huh? yeah exactly you know i i have here in in bali we have i have some clients that are that have, have given them prescribed the the herbal medicine and and you know they, they tell me oh i i i think maybe my my staff you know my, my helpers they they cooked it wrong you know, this medicine for a week, it shouldn't have lasted uh, three weeks. <laughs> so, you know, I, I certainly advise them to, uh, you know, first I say, I say okay, you, you want to show them, show your staff how to do it. But I say even, even better is that you do your, your own, you cook your medicine yourself and you participate in it, in your own healing, mm. you know, because, uh, really that shows that, okay, you, you want, you're going to take the time to, to get better and, and to, you know, put your, put your own energy into, into, 
into this medicine and the preparation. Yeah. The part the participation, as you say. Mm -hmm. That's always an indicator of 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 how how uh, how much better somebody wants to get. Actually, I always ask them. I give them the option. You know, okay, which we which form do you want to take your medicine? So. You know, I have the granulated powders. I also have an even more convenient way. I have it in a tincture. So you just have to, you know, drop, put the dropper in your mouth and, and or put in water and, and take it down. Um, the, the powder and then also the, the herbs, which of course I tell them requires time and energy. So so once they tell once they tell me like uh, you know of course some people they just don't have the time to cook their own medicine whatever they're working ten hours a day or or they have you know, they have kids and they just can't do that so I understand but for the majority of people you know un understanding okay yes I want to I want to cook my own medicine or no I just want to take the the drops kind of clues me into okay where where are they at with you know they're on they're on healing in the process that they in energy and the participation they want to put in mm -hmm. yeah that's uh, one of the things that i like about chinese medicine is um like you said it's a whole holistic uh, way of looking at health and that also includes lifestyle so asking people whether they want to have the quick and convenient way of like dropping some some drops in in their mouth or or taking a powder or they are willing to you know slow down and and cook the herbs themselves i guess also gives you an idea of their lifestyle um, and and perhaps the whatever ailment they have is also connected to the way they live um, so would you say like slowing down and cooking the herbs like part of the efficacy or effectiveness of that is also uh, the time that you invest to just like slow down and, and perhaps even like meditate while you cook those herbs oh absolutely that would be that would be the ideal you know if, if they, they 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 could even make an altar for their, their medicine um, or if they already have an altar put, put it on there mm. um yeah, this this is you know, uh, I I think this is uh, part of the you know when when somebody comes in and you, it's important as a practitioner to understand uh, where the person is at and what you know what they what they want to do to get better. So it's it's almost like meeting somebody where they're at. You know, because not everybody has the desire to change their lifestyle, and uh, you know, also you know, depends on what what their their health issue is. Some people just want to get their wrist fixed, um, you know. And I think this is actually we could say one of the lessons of tea that uh, I I incorporate into my practice is that like when you're when you're serving tea and, and host hosting people for tea um you want to under 
you want to understand where everybody is. You want to meet them where they're at. So mm -hmm. meaning that if it's somebody's, you know, they're new to tea and, and uh, you know, I'm probably not going to serve uh, a really strong shang tea. It's their first time. So maybe something more like elevation, easier for them to, uh, that, for their palate. Um, or, or maybe, you know, if, if I'm feeling, oh, I really want to go deep at this tea ceremony and it's some people are, are maybe checking out after a few bowls. So, um, you know, you might have to rein in your tea ceremony. So it, it's about, it's the same idea of, of in the treatment room, meeting somebody or where they're at and understanding, okay, you know, maybe somebody does want to know, hey, what, what, what do I need to change in my diet, you know? if somebody's like, hey, you shouldn't eat uh, cold foods, you know, they want to know, okay, well, what, what warming foods can I eat? And, and other people, they, um, they just want to come in and, and get fixed. So you just have to have to understand uh, where people are and what their own goals are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's a good lesson good tea and, uh, and life lesson. Like we say, all tea lessons are life lessons. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, it's such a fascinating topic. And I feel like we should probably um, record another podcast because I have um, more questions for you about sure, Chinese, yeah. <laughs> Chinese medicine. But just to keep this, um, these episodes um, relatively, um, you know, manageable. Um, let's let's wrap this this one up. But uh, before mm -hmm. I let you go, I do have a few um, other, more like small questions or or quick um, questions. Mm -hmm. First of all, so if um, anybody listening is interested in learning more about um, Chinese medicine and, and maybe also how it connects to tea. There are some resources we, um, like I mentioned, have um, published an issue about Chinese traditional Chinese medicine and tea, which was the November 2021 issue. So people can go back and look at that. It's, it's going to be in our ar archive soon uh, for free. But we also have um, actual paper copies to sell on our website as well. So if you're interested in that, you can check that out. And another good resource is uh, we have a lesson in the uh, Seven Genres online course uh, that is devoted entirely to um, traditional Chinese medicine and tea. So if you're somebody who likes to watch videos, um, then that's a really good resource as well. But other than those two resources, are there any books or anything else that you would recommend um, to someone who's like deeply interested in um, traditional Chinese medicine? Yes, certainly. Um, now, these books are probably 20 years old because I know when I first was learning about Chinese medicine, they were they were from the '90s or late '90s. There there, there might be uh, many since then, but these are the two that I know of that are, are quite old, um, but but really great introductory books. 
uh, the Chinese medicine. The first one is called Between Heaven and Earth. And that is a book more about the five elements. So I know always um, people that are interested in uh, Chinese medicine are really uh, interested into, um, into the five elements, learning about that. Yeah. The second book that I would highly recommend is called The, the Web That Has No Weaver. So this is like the quintessential uh, comprehensive guide to the theory and the practice of, of Chinese medicine. Um, so that, wow, that book is almost 40 years old, but uh, it's, it's like a timeless classic and, and uh, just a great like introductory um, broad painting on, on uh, many of the things that uh, we've been talking about. So I highly recommend that. The Web That Has No Weaver and Between Heaven and Earth. Mm. Great. I will add these books in the description of this episode as well. So um, you can check out and I'll, I'll include the authors as well. Um, so you talked about um, serving or drinking more green teas um, in the summertime. And since you are in the southern hemisphere and it is uh, summer for you there um what kind of teas are you um yourself drinking in the mornings are you drinking more lightly oxidized oolongs or, or green teas or young shangs or what's in your bowl these days uh in the morning time i'm always a, a, a big fan of these bold uh Hongs. so mm. something about Hong just it really just is very suitable for my body and i just feel very very harmonized um after i drink a Hong, very my 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 shin my spirit is, is more more alive more awake um so most mornings it's Hong. if um it's gotten really hot in the past few weeks. So actually turning to some Shangpours uh, and, and te, you know, now's a good time of year to take out some of these Shang teas that have been uh, maturing and aging in the tea cabinet. So, so testing those out, but I don't, I don't drink too much Oolong. I like more, uh, I'm really into like, stronger chi teas i'm into the whole body experience so for me it's uh, most times like liu bao or um you know drinking some of the the liu baos that were uh, beneath beneath the pines i believe the ones that were on offer from global tea hut and uh i just got some of the new den homes that are on the website so been really enjoying those yeah great uh, morning teas i love a good multi dian hong in the morning yeah it really fuels me for for my my day of, of seeing clients so mm, nice um do you uh, do you listen to music while drinking tea or do you like to drink tea in silence most often i'm drinking tea in, in silence actually 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but if if I am going to if I am going to serve tea, I really like to uh, to play music that like has a piano based. So something like uh, a winged victory for the solid. Mm, yeah, that's a great TL. One of my yeah, one of my favorite albums. Um, I do listen to a lot of the the T the T playlist made by our our dear friend uh, Steve Cocker. Yeah, he makes some good playlists. He's good. He does, and he has them on Spotify. So highly recommend anyone looking for some for some beautiful tea music to check out Steve Cocker's uh, uh, playlist on Spotify. Mm. I'm going to add uh, one to the description of this episode as well. In fact, I should uh, probably get Steve on this uh, podcast as well and uh, pick his brain about music and tea and some other things as well. Oh my gosh, he'd, he'd be a, uh, an amazing guest. <laughs> Okay, well, um, thank you, Andy, so much for this um, great conversation. And um, thank you, listeners, for listening to this podcast. I hope you uh, got something out of it. And uh, I hope to see you in the next episode. Thank you, Yanis, so much for having me. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tea Wayfaring. I hope you enjoyed it and I would love to hear your thoughts about this new format. If you have any suggestions or comments, feel free to drop me a line at connect at globalteahut.org. If you like the podcast and wish to support our efforts of building a free tea center, then please consider subscribing to the magazine at globalteahut.org. Thank you. I hope to see you in the next episode.